Hey, before we begin, I want to let you know about a new show from Curious Cast that I think you might be into. It's called Russia Rising. Putin's Russia has been accused of using internet trolls, hackers, and even assassins to influence the West. This new investigative podcast hopes to unravel the giant mystery that is Russia with the help of those who know her best. Russian trolls, hackers, Putin supporters, and even a former KGB spy. Join Global News Europe Bureau Chief Jeff Semple on a journey to find out how Russia has gone from tenuous ally to a potential global threat. Listen to Russia Rising for free at CuriousCast.ca or wherever you're enjoying This Is Why. For me as a mother, I just wanted to hold my daughter as she died rather than let her die in a hospital without her mother's love or or warmth. Jessica lost her one-month-old baby to a vaccine-preventable disease. When you don't vaccinate, which is what I think people forget, you don't just affect your own family, you're affecting everyone else around you, the the newborns that can't get vaccinated yet, the elderly that can't do it anymore, they aren't able to get the vaccinations, they're all put at risk. Yet still, some Canadian parents are choosing not to vaccinate their children. I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is Why. Heather Yurix West and Jeff Semple are two global news reporters who have been working on a series that explores the anti-vax movement in Canada. Of course, that's slang for the anti-vaccination movement. Where in this country are vaccine rates low and why? And how is social media influencing and in some cases suppressing conversations about vaccination? Jeff and Heather spoke to parents who fall on both sides of this issue. Those who've lost their children to vaccine-preventable diseases and those who do not want to vaccinate their kids for a variety of reasons. So who in Canada is not vaccinating their children and why? Well, the reasons are complex, and this is something that public health officials are grappling with. In some of these areas, it has to do with a combination of factors. Religion plays a role. There's cultural beliefs at play as well. And then you have this sort of community peer pressure, right? If if the people in your community see vaccines as something to be avoided, not to be trusted, then you're more likely to side with with your peers, your friends and family, and, and question public health officials. That's right. Now, they don't all necessarily, you know, come from the same religion, the same background, etc. But there are some, generally speaking, common hallmarks that they share. And a lot of these communities that have low vaccination rates tend to have larger religious communities, and I'm thinking, you know, specifically of old order Mennonite communities. So there are some of these religious groups, and this is what we've seen in the past, where this is where the outbreaks will start, because you have a cluster of people who aren't vaccinated. Uh, There was an outbreak in Ontario back in 2012 of whooping cough that lasted more than 17 months. It affected more than 400 people in Ontario, around 2,000 across the country. And in Ontario, it was traced back to this one 
low German Mennonite community in southwestern Ontario. So religion, you know, is, is certainly a part of this and obviously, you know, presents an extraordinary challenge for public health officials. But it's worth noting, though, that a lot of those who are opposed to vaccines aren't opposing it on religious reasons. They are, you know, largely considered to be part of this vaccine hesitant group where they are concerned, they're confused, and they're potentially open to a discussion about it. It's just, you know, a question of how to approach that discussion. I think a lot of the people we've heard from, parents who are vaccine hesitant are tired of being yelled at and they feel you know they're being shamed and having the finger wagged at them and that every time they even ask a question about vaccination they're sort of shunned from the community and you know screamed at effectively and you know that's not a great environment for a serious conversation about you know health of course and so i think the tone of the debate and um you know and, and how we're presenting this information to these families perhaps is worth a review as well God, doesn't that sum up 2019 in a nutshell, that we can't have a civil conversation or a civil debate, be it in person or if it's on social media, without it devolving into people just yelling at each other? Yeah, it's awful. And and it has to be said that, you know, through trying to put this series together, uh, myself and Heather and some of our producers reached out to a number of people on both sides. We reached out to parents who are reluctant to get their kids vaccinated. And we also reached out to parents and families who have had their children get sick with measles or whooping cough. Um, In some cases, their children have died from these vaccine-preventable diseases. And most of them that we spoke to did not want to speak publicly. They did not want to do a media interview. And the number one reason was because of the backlash that they were afraid of getting, the harassment they were afraid of receiving. And most of that is on social media, on the Internet. We've, you know, we spoke to one mother who lost a child who got sick with the flu. She gave interviews about the importance of getting vaccinated, actually had people online accusing her of inventing the story and, you know, being an actor for the, some pharmacy company. This is sort of the vicious rhetoric that exists online, but it makes it even harder to have you know, a serious dis- intellectual discussion, fact-based discussion about something as important as vaccinations. You spoke to a mother who lost her child to a vaccine-preventable disease. Can you tell me her story? Yeah, so Harper Whitehead was a brand new baby that was born um, down in the Lethbridge area of southern Alberta. Her mother, Jessica, lived with her parents in Picture Butte, which is a small farming town that's just to the north of Lethbridge. About 1,700 people live there. It's very small, very safe. So, I mean, naturally, Jessica never had any fears that her daughter would be at risk in the community. But you know, seven days into Little Harper's life, something seemed off. To to watch it take over a little body is is very surreal. You you don't want to believe that it's it's as serious as it is. You always think that, you know, they're gonna get better. Tomorrow will be a new day. But three days later things had become so serious that little Harper was wasn't able to, to keep her food down. She was choking and um and then her condition just deteriorated so quickly. She had whooping cough, which is very, very deadly for for children that small. She was uh, airlifted to um, the Alberta Children's Hospital in Calgary. I just remember knowing that I was gonna lose her, that the whooping cough was gonna, was gonna win this one. And I just wanted to be able to hold my daughter when she passed instead of 
just sitting there holding her hand, which I've been doing for the last two weeks because that's all I was allowed to do. So for me as a mother, I just wanted to hold my daughter as she died rather than let her die in a hospital without her mother's love or, or warmth. And within a week and a half, she was gone. And you know what, seven years have gone by and, and she still is really struggling with what happened. And the, the last seven years, when I, when I think of my own daughter, she's never older than a month because that's the time that I had her. And she's, she's always just the brand newborn little girl that I had and the last seven years she hasn't grown up. And I, I have a boyfriend now and he has a seven-year-old daughter and it's, it's a crazy perspective for me now because I can see the things that Harper should be doing and would be doing and could be doing and how big she would be. But I don't get to experience that with my own daughter and it's really hard because when you don't vaccinate, which is what I think people forget, you don't just affect your own family, you're affecting everyone else around you. The, the newborns that can't get vaccinated yet, the elderly that can't do it anymore, or anyone that has any, um, any medical disorders that, that they aren't able to get the vaccinations, they're all put at risk. You know, talking to her about this vaccine hesitancy movement, she says, is, is so painful because she wishes that she could really just get across to these parents how dangerous that decision to delay or avoid vaccines can be, not only for your own children, but for those vulnerable children um, around them. That must be so frustrating for a mother who's lost her child to a vaccine-preventable disease. See other parents resist getting those vaccinations and here she is saying I know firsthand how important vaccinations are. Yeah absolutely and, and I mean we speak with vaccine hesitant parent in the series as well and and these these parents aren't monsters they're just so confused there's just so many different messages out there and and they want to do what I think all parents want to do they want to make sure that their kids are healthy and safe but but for some reason a lot of these parents are struggling with believing that the vaccines are what's healthy and, and safe and what's the best course of action. Coming up later in this episode. I want somebody who's willing to work with me on all the questions that I have because I have 50 million questions and I won't make a decision until I'm able to satisfy my inquisitive nature. Hear from a vaccine-hesitant parent who says... She's not ready yet to vaccinate her youngest child, but she's open to changing her mind. You're listening to This Is Why, a national radio show and podcast from Global News. Download and subscribe online now. According to exclusive Ipsos polling conducted for Global News, two-thirds of parents believe vaccinations are necessary, but one in three still worry about side effects. And while 85% believe vaccinations are safe, 85% also feel there is a lot of misinformation out there. The group of individuals that are the hardcore anti-vaxxers is actually relatively small. You're looking at 2 to 5%, you know, depending on how you count it. But that, that 20 to 30% that are vaccination hesitant, you know, I think are being influenced by the rhetoric flowing from the hardcore anti-vaxxers. 
When we asked the polling company Ipsos to basically ask Canadians that question about how, how Canadians feel about whether vaccines being mandatory for school-aged children, and I think we expected to hear, you know, a lot of Canadians in favour of that, but I don't think we really expected it to be such a strong majority. And in fact, it was 88% of Canadians who said that they would approve of legislation making it mandatory for all school-aged children to be up to date on their vaccinations, with the exception of those who have medical exemptions for medical reasons. Maybe they have a, an immune de a deficiency, for example. So nine out of 10 Canadians would approve of legislation making ma vaccinations mandatory. So a pretty s clear signal, and perhaps even surprisingly so, from Canadians in support of making vaccinations mandatory. Now, as it stands right now, we do have two provinces, Ontario and New Brunswick, that do have laws that require students to have their vaccinations up to date if they want to attend a public school in either of those provinces. But, and this is a big but, parents can opt out on either religious or conscientious grounds after they attend an education session on the subject. And actually, we've heard the B.C. government recently announcing that it plans to introduce a similar law there. So tougher laws in Ontario, New Brunswick, and soon-to-be British Columbia, but still very possible for parents to opt out for reasons of conscience, for reasons of religion. I like that idea of having parents attend an information session because you hear from some of these parents who do not want to vaccinate their kids, that they feel like there is not enough information available to them that proves that vaccines will make their children healthier or immune to disease. Now, finally, the school system, the government is saying, look, you want the information, we'll give you the information. I guess you just hope in the end that they don't continue to ignore that information when it's presented to them. Yeah, and I think it, the way that it's presented and the types of information, obviously the message just isn't getting through. I mean, we do know the figures vary quite dramatically, but we do in Canada have a vaccination rate of less than 90%. Nationally speaking, we know there are, say, around 20% of the population, 20 to 30% even, according to this poll, that do feel uneasy about vaccinations, do have questions and concerns about the potential side effects. And so we've actually put some of this to public health officials, including the head of uh, immunization and vaccine preventable diseases here in Ontario, at Public Health Ontario, uh, she doesn't agree with the idea that, that vaccines should be mandatory. She is big on the idea that we need to do a better job of basically making the pitch to these parents who are, many of them, confused, concerned about potential side effects with these vaccines. And of course, any information that's coming from sort of the official channels, from doctors, from governments, is having to compete with a lot of the misinformation that exists on social media and on Facebook groups that exist that support the anti-vaxxing side. They've done a really good job at spreading misinformation. I don't vaccinate my children because health does not come from injecting poisons into your bloodstream. And I protect my children from disease and from illness by building their immune systems with good solid nutrition, with fresh air, clean water and rest. And fake uh, protection from vaccines is not the way that I choose to protect my children from disease or illness. I don't vaccinate because the risks outweigh the benefit. Really goes against just human instinct and logic to inject something directly into the bloodstream that has a lot of chemicals, preservatives and unknowns. Um, when really, 
uh, naturally things are supposed to be through our nose, eyes, and mouth so that our immune system has the chance to properly fight pathogens off. Doesn't matter if you do one shot, it doesn't matter if you do uh, several at a time, it's still Russian roulette every time and every time there will be some sort of reaction. I was planning on vaccinating my daughter, but I had a dear friend tell me to do some research. And once I started doing the research, I realized that the risk is just not worth it. No thanks to seizures or cancer or death. No, thank you. The people that have been behind these anti-vax messages, they've just been so effective at how they've got those messages across. They use these anecdotes that are very emotional, that involve a lot of fear. You know, you hear from um, a parent that has lost their child or, or their child has been injured because of a vaccine, and we don't know how accurate this is, and, and a lot of times this this has been taken out of context or, or is completely inaccurate. But the public health uh, officials and the Public Health Agency of Canada is, is recognizing now how effective those emotional um, messages can be. So they are, in essence, fighting fire with fire now. Um, talking to parents like uh, Jessica Whitehead um, and other parents that have, have been severely harmed by a vaccine-preventable illness so that you know, parents are able to see these emotional messages in a more accurate light so that they can come to a conclusion with, with a fuller picture. Heather, I'd really like to be introduced to the vaccine-hesitant parent that you spoke to when putting together this series. Yeah, so we spoke with a parent. Uh, she's from Scarborough, Ontario, a suburb of Toronto, Sabrina Batches, and she's got two little kids, a toddler-age son and a baby girl. My oldest son, Yoga Jr., has his first... I think it's four vaccines in total up until six months. And then she hasn't had any yet because she's not of age to do it yet. So it's going to be a little bit more investigating to find out what we want to give, what brand we will give. And she admits to being skeptical. I've had so many issues with chemical drugs that um, I was more afraid that, that that genetic may have been passed on to them and that they would have reactions to it. So she's just been very, very skeptical and um, diligent about researching. She's, she says she's fearful of um, her kids having reactions to different things and she's not sure that all of the vaccines on um, the different immunization schedules are necessary. Um, but she has, she has given her, her older son um, some vaccinations, but she she says she's not convinced and she's also not convinced that public health officials and doctors are giving her the whole picture. You shouldn't have to be like running through hoops to get this information. If you're mandated to do something, then the pros and cons, the origin of it should be given to you so that you're not having to try and figure out what's real and what's not real. Like many parents, she worries about the influence of pharmaceutical companies and thinks that there's, there perhaps are pharmaceutical interests at play. So that's part of the, the conflict. But she says, I have 50 million questions and I just want a doctor that is willing to work with me and answer all my questions and I'm not going to give my child a vaccine until I know I feel satisfied. I want somebody who's willing to work with me on all the questions that I have because I have 50 million questions and I won't make a decision until I'm able to satisfy my inquisitive nature with regards to this. Like it, it, you, ne you need to be informed to make a decision and uh, I, I don't have enough information to do that. So that's where she's coming from and I think that's representative of where a lot of these vaccine um, hesitant parents are coming from as well.
Now, there are some places that have made vaccines mandatory. I'm thinking outside of Canada. Three states in particular have said that vaccines are mandatory for kids. How is that working out there? Well, it's interesting. Yeah, as you say, California recently actually became the third American state that only allows medical exemptions to vaccination. So they have eliminated the option of opting out on religious or on philosophical grounds. You know, it's hard to deny that these efforts have been successful. I mean, all you have to do is look at Mississippi is sort of the best case um, where they have had mandatory vaccinations in place in that state since 1979. And their coverage rate is over 99%. Now, right now, the United States is grappling with one of the worst measles outbreaks that it has seen in many years. But Mississippi has been immune to that, no pun intended, um, you know, and is largely seeing its mandatory vaccinations being credited for that. California, since it implemented the similar change only a few years ago, has seen its coverage rate reach an all-time high of over 95%. 95% is often referred to as sort of the key number, right, especially with measles, which is extremely deadly, extremely contagious. You need to have 95% of the population having their two doses of measles, measles vaccine to achieve what's called herd immunity, which means that, you know, we can prevent an outbreak from spreading. So California has achieved that. So has Mississippi. We have So we do see these sort of success stories in the United States. It's worth noting, though, just as a quick aside, that California, since it made it impossible to opt out on religious or philosophical grounds, has seen a real surge in people applying to opt out on medical grounds and so now they're asking questions about whether they need to even toughen that up whether you might need to get more than just say a doctor's note to make the case that you can opt out on medical grounds but uh, it's hard to deny that the you know the three states in the united states that are doing this uh, have been pretty effective what happens to a parent who doesn't vaccinate their kid what are the the legal consequences in those states Basically, their children aren't allowed to attend public school. So this we are talking about, you know, a public school system here where, you know, you, you need to show that you have been vaccinated before you're able to attend. So no one's going to come and take your kid away. It's not that kind of rule. It's more a rule that you have to have your kid vaccinated if you want your child to be in the public school system. Yeah, that's right. And it's amazing to see that it has been as effective as it has. And I think what it suggests that, you know, you do have, I mean, if we talk about sort of 20%, 30% of Canadians who are at least uneasy about vaccines, um, but it is a pretty small percentage of that, that anti-vaccination group that are, sort of the diehards, they really, you know, there's very little chance of convincing them or persuading them to come on board and to sort of rethink their stance. You know, what makes public health officials optimistic is this idea that the vast majority of those who are opposed to vaccines or are quote unquote vaccine hesitant can be persuaded. They're just confused. They're unsure. They've read different things. Perhaps they haven't had time to read enough. And so it's a question of, okay, well, you know, at what point do we say you've had your chance to read up? This is a health issue that doesn't just affect your family. It could potentially affect other families in your vicinity, in your community. So is it a time to have a serious conversation about making vaccines mandatory? Now, I don't want you to think that the outbreak of measles that's been happening right now in Canada has reached epidemic proportions. 
There have been, though, at least two dozen cases of measles in the province of B.C. as of the beginning of April. And health officials in Alberta are warning people to vaccinate their kids to protect them against the outbreak in the province next door. What seems to be spreading, though, faster than the disease itself is misinformation. In fact, Facebook announced last month that it will diminish the reach of anti-vaccine information on its website. This is Why is produced by John O'Dowd and me, Nikki Reitmeyer. It's a national radio show and a podcast. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts from. Give us a rating and a review. Tell your friends about the show as well. We're on Twitter at This Is Why. And you can always send us an email. This is why at CuriousCast.ca. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.